introduce you to Owen. Good morning, everybody. I'm Owen. I'm an alcoholic. And you have just seen one very courageous woman with a lot of faith. I can tell you that uh, I never would have suggested as a speaker to a group this size, someone that I met for about 20 minutes at a party last August. <laughs> this woman has faith. I want to say she mentioned that uh, I got sober in Syracuse. And one of the things I'd like to say right on is I've had some opportunity to spend some time with the uh, various speakers here in the course of the conference. And by the way, you guys, Milo, Diane, and all your committee have done a fantastic job, not only with the committee itself, but certainly with the speakers. The uh, I think it's probably a testimony to what you people have done for me in my program that uh, I only had a couple of fleeting moments when I thought, my God, how am I going to follow that act? Or I'll never be able to top that. And the fleeting thought right behind it each time was, it's up to God. But what I wanted to say about uh, what they had to say to me was what a terrific and responsive audience you people are and were to each one of them as they were speaking. And I replied, that doesn't surprise me at all because I only had a couple of years in the program in Syracuse. But it's a brand of AA that I really haven't experienced since. Now, the kind of love and caring that you people show for each other is really magnificent. And thank you for asking me to be here. I did some thinking earlier in the week about what I was going to say, because as I said to uh, Evelyn, I really did not, don't know how to talk about spirituality. But pardon this thing in my voice, I'm on a, a new heart medication that tends to screw up my voice when I get a little, under a little stress. But I've said spirituality like sobriety is something you live. It's uh, not something that I've ever been able to talk about very much. And I really, right up until very early this morning, was not sure how I was going to suggest to you what spirituality means to me in words. And I woke up about 5 o'clock this morning, and I looked at the clock and I said, what the devil am I doing awake at 5 o'clock this morning? And I suddenly realized that God was there writing our speech. <laughs> and uh, this went on for maybe half an hour or so. I was still pretty tired. And I, I said, do you think it would be okay if I went back to sleep and you <laughs> finished the speech? And he said, no, I'm sorry, Owen, I need your full attention. So I've been up since 5 o'clock this morning. Thought a little more about it. And it's amazing that the thought, the concept of spirituality that came to me during that conversation with God this morning, how close it was to both the reading and Evelyn's own definition of spirituality. Because the thought that occurred to me was that uh, spirituality for me is feeling, seeing, and believing that God is at work in my life and letting God do it. I've had numerous evidences of that happening in my life. Perhaps the first was uh, when I was laying in a gutter in front of the uh, State Tower Building, downtown Syracuse, on April in uh, 1961. I had 
Just had another of those telephone fights with my wife. I had gotten drunk in the same bar four nights that week. Each night I called her and she would come and pick me up, get me home. After the bartender cut me off, I ran out of money. This night, she simply said, go to hell, this is the end. So I decided I'd show her. I had a car parked in the parking lot across the street. I'll drive it home. I'll probably run into a lamp pole, kill myself, and that'll serve her right. <laughs> but I never made the car. <laughs> I tripped over the curb, <laughs> fell in the gutter, and passed out cold. Now that, folks, is hitting bottom. Every time I hear the gospel reading of the Good Samaritan in church, I think of the cab driver that was the first in line about half a block down the street, and he apparently saw what had happened. He came up and somehow shook me awake, found out where I lived, and drove me home. I don't think I paid the man anything. I don't. My wife said he'd never ask her for anything. He just, uh, God at work. The next day, Agatha decided it would be a good time to abandon me to my thoughts. And she went off so that I could think about uh, what I was doing, what I was going to do. She left me with uh, two young children to take care of that day in my very shaky state. I did send one of them down the street to borrow a pack of cigarettes from a neighbor. I didn't have the courage to ask them to borrow a shot of booze, which was what I really needed. So I really shook through that Friday. And I called my doctor, and he gave me an appointment for the next day. Okay. A little Jewish doctor. Very, very roly-poly fellow. I went to his office. He was sitting behind his desk. And immediately when I stepped in, he begins to chuckle. And it's like, funny? This is funny. Yeah, oh, and it is a bit funny, because for two years, I've had your AA sponsor picked out. <laughs> this week he had a heart attack and this is the day you picked to come in so you tell me do you know anybody in the program of AA and I, I knew absolutely nothing about AA but as I thought about it I remembered this strange fellow in our office who sometimes talked about going to meetings and he had a very close friend as some of you will recall, I used to mention her by name. I never said how he knew her. Her name was Norma. So it occurred to me that maybe this guy had something to do with AA and perhaps uh, be the person to see. Anyway, this was my out this time. So I told Aggie that I'm going to see Jeff. I'm going to AA and I'm going to get help. For the next 10 days, I'd come home from work, and she said, did you see Jeff yet? Well, no, he was out of town today. I really couldn't. And, uh, now, today, I, w I was terribly busy. You know that client conference? And uh, this went on for 10 days. I managed to avoid this, and I began to get shakier and shakier and realizing that uh, I was getting very close to another drink. So I walked around the corner, long distance, around the petition, into Jeff's office, and began babbling something. I don't know what I said. Jeff looked up from his typewriter, and he began to laugh. What's so funny? I've been waiting for you for two years. 
Some of you, I'm sure, remember Jeff F. Uh, he died last year, bless him, uh, in Washington, D.C. He had many good years of sobriety here before he moved to Washington. He was a hard-nosed type of uh, AA sponsor. He gave me a big, or a 12 and 12 said, read the first chapter before our meeting tonight. If you go any further, I'll break your arm. So I only read the first chapter. He took me over to a little club over Gotchkar's Grill, of course, on Warren Street in town at the time. I uh, were put together by a bunch of members of AA. Well, there was a woman who came in and made lunches for the people. And he introduced me to three or four members of Alcoholics Anonymous. They seemed like almost normal people. One of them uh, was mentioned yesterday by Charlie uh, in his terrific uh, leadership, by the way, of that me delegate meeting yesterday, Charles. I thought that was a lot of wisdom and showed a lot of commitment and understanding of the AA principles. I wish I had that. Yep. He mentioned Emerson L., and uh, Emerson was one of the people I met that day. We talked for hmm, five minutes, probably no more than that. And Jeff and I finished our lunch, went back to work. And on the way back, he said, next thing, I'll meet you tonight inside the central group office, our central group meeting on James Street. Notice he said inside the meeting. He knew it was time that I did something for myself. Well, I got to that meeting, being typical perfectionist and overly punctual and all those things, probably half an hour early. And I spent at least 25 minutes of that outside the meeting, nodding people coming in and lighting another cigarette and pretending I was just out for a smoke at the meeting. And then walking in and looking up those long stairs and hearing the voices upstairs and saying, not for me, not these people. Just about made up my mind that it was time to leave before I made this foolish mistake. I started down the sidewalk, and just about that moment, Emerson came walking up the sidewalk. And at the same time, there was a very attractive, exceptionally attractive blonde woman off the sidewalk as well. And I looked at Emerson, I looked at her, and I said, well, if she belongs, maybe I should. <laughs> and that was just about the moment that Emerson put his hand on my arm and said, oh, and shall we go up? And I couldn't in any way figure out how to tell him, no, I'm not going to do this. So up the stairs we went and into my first AA meeting. And thank God, as all of you will agree, I'm sure, how that worked out. It, I was further struck to find that this was a speaker meeting with three speakers that night. And Emerson was one of the speakers. I found out later that he wasn't on the schedule, that he had asked to stay in speak at that meeting that night so that Owen would see somebody up there that he knew at least slightly and could identify with. And I knew that Emerson had come from Watertown. He had to drive back that night. And this was well before Route 81 was, con was constructed. It was a snowy night and that was a long drive at least in my mind. I could not conceive of anyone doing that for anybody else. So deep was my self-centeredness and being all wrapped up in me. And I think that was one of my spiritual awakenings. And it's certainly, like my wife's words, go to hell on the phone call. Uh, and Emerson's putting his hand on my elbow. God, it worked. I didn't have much trouble accepting the fact that my life was unmanageable. I think that kind of came to me that Friday when I was sitting uh, at home alone before I saw the doctor. And I'd admitted vaguely on a number of occasions that I thought maybe I had a problem with alcoholism, but usually 
to get some sympathy rather than to get any help. When I faced the second step, I had to uh, think a little more deeply. Because I was having problems with God at that point. And uh, a week or so ago, I came across an article in the current grapevine that uh, pretty well describes uh, how I was feeling, if I can find what I did with it here. Uh, i got to get the grapevine. How I was feeling at that time about God. The author of this article writes, I was in the category that the 12 and 12 describe as the guy full of faith, but still reeking of alcohol. He believes he is devout. His religious observance is scrupulous. He's sure he still believes in God, but suspects that God no longer believes in him. He takes pledges and more pledges. Following each, he not only drinks again, but acts worse than the last time. Valiantly, he tries to fight alcohol, imploring God's help, but the help doesn't come. Anyone else identify with that statement? So when I looked at the second step, it was obvious to me that uh, I had to think in terms of some form of higher power, and my relationship to God had gotten so bad that somehow I didn't think that was going to work because it hadn't over these years. I don't know whether it was Jeff that I raised that subject with or my second sponsor. Uh, one was an atheist, the other one's an agnostic, and I'm talking to them about God. And <laughs> one of the other of them suggested to me that I use the power of the group as my higher power to get my to work my way through that uh, second step in a restoration to sanity. And that was where I was with uh, both the uh, second step and the third step for some time. For a long time, uh, I worked with the group uh, as my higher power. Probably about the time I approached the fourth step, I began to get some sense of uh, the kind of God that I have today, but I spent a long time developing. My fourth step was an experience. Uh, as I've indicated, I was a pretty compulsive type, but I was one of these who was going to race through the steps and I was probably only two or three months probably into the program when I decided that uh, time for me to do the fourth step. And uh, So I got out the big book and I looked at uh, how to do this and I got a big pad of paper and I sat down at the kitchen table, waited for another night. My wife was out. The kids were in bed. And I got a newspaper so I could cover this whole mess up if anybody came in and caught me doing this. <laughs> And as it happened, my wife didn't come home until I'd finished what I was going to do, and the kids slept through it. I made a begin, a beginning that night on my four steps. Did a lot more work with it over the next uh, few weeks. And there was where I think I came to the beginning of my acceptance of my alcoholism as opposed to the plain admitting. And as was talked about uh, all throughout this conference, and especially at the spiritual session this morning, the things that I found, of course, predominantly were that low self-esteem, that incredible self-centeredness, and a fantastic load of guilt that I'd been carrying from my Roman Catholic upbringing. So I decided if I was going to exercise that guilt, maybe I should do the fifth step with someone who uh, knew something about the church and religion and its relationship to AA. At that time, there was a Jesuit priest in town named Father Raymond Kennedy who had made a national reputation in the field of alcoholism and was just a genuinely beautiful person. And he was a member of our fraternity. And I didn't know him and didn't know where to find him. So I started going around in meetings and everybody I saw, every time I saw somebody dressed in black, I'd tap him on the shoulder and <laughs> you, Father Kennedy. 
uh, I don't know how many meetings it took before somebody finally turned around and said yes. And I said, well, I'm Owen, and uh, I'd like some fifth-step help. We spent, I think it was two four-hour sessions at the Lemoyne uh, faculty lounge in two different weeks, cleaning me out and going through my fifth-step. I think basically what I was able to do in that session was to find some difference between religion and spirituality. Up until that point, I had absolutely no concept of spirituality. It was all by the book religion. And in line with what we were talking about earlier, as uh, Evelyn said, I recognize that spirituality is based in love. And probably my initial spiritual awakening was the next thought that I had, love is giving. Strange thought for one who has spent 35 years being totally wrapped up in himself, totally unaware of anyone else's needs, desires, wants, cares. I just always went my way and wondered, why aren't they doing that for me? I'm on. I used to say that I began to practice giving by picking up the wet washcloths on the bathroom floor instead of kicking them in the corner, as I had for uh, most of our married life. I got some of the other steps, practicing discipline. I used to stop in street corners and wait for red lights. People walking with and wonder, who's this idiot? He's still back there on the curb, and, and they're going across, and I'm waiting for the green. <laughs> but I think that was my spiritual awakening, the recognition that love is giving. And that became, I think, the basis of the spiritual program I attempt to live today. On the six and seven steps, and asking God to remove my shortcomings. I realized pretty quickly something that Bill G. of Syracuse, who was one of the stalwarts in the program when I came in, used to say at almost every meeting I was ever at with him, I got so sick of it, I didn't want to hear it one more time. When you pray for the potatoes, pick up the hole. And, and I realized that I had some work to do, and the main part of that work was learning to give and practicing how to give. On the eighth and ninth steps in making amends, I recognized pretty early that it probably would take the rest of my life to make amends to Agatha and our family, the four children who had been born up to that time, and that I might never completely succeed, but I should try, and the way I should, could try best, rather than words, was trying to live this program and live a life of spirituality. But there was one of my amends that I think is worth mentioning in a little detail. At the time I, before I came in the program, I was working for a large organization in town that was staffed largely by economists and attorneys. And I was their public relations uh, director. And I was playing games of position, power, all these kinds of things with those. And there were a couple of the people in this organization whose careers I really damaged and my one-upmanship and trying to get up on them. And never very successful at it. Then the higher power decided it was time for me to take my first trip to New York City, and this absolutely petrified me. New York was a scene of some of my greater drinking crimes. And I always booked in at the Sheraton Russell Hotel and spent most of my time in New York in the Doghouse Bar that was there, very aptly named, because that was where I was every time I came home, in the Doghouse. <laughs> So I talked to my sponsors, 
Well, this time I'd accumulated a few because Jeff said I was driving him to drink, walking around the partition with every hangnail, asking which step do I use on this. <laughs> I was rapidly going through Bill W., who some of you know, who subsequently moved to uh, Utica and also died a couple of times. Very hard on sponsors. They, they die off on them. <laughs> But they suggested that I make immediate contact with AA as soon as I get in New York, and I probably would be all right. So I decided to do that. When I finished the luncheon meeting I had, I picked up the telephone, I called intergroup, and they invited me to come over and spend some time and get kind of centered, as we would say now, in the technological jargon language. I've never heard that word in those days. But I went over and he knocked on the door, and this little guy about this tall, I think the only man in the world I ever met in the program shorter than me, uh, said, come in. In, welcome. And took me out. I was, I was literally shaking. Sat me down in the backyard. Began pouring some coffee in me so I'd shake some more. <laughs> and he, uh, sat there for probably an hour and a half or so, talking about the program, about AA, and I told him I was new and I was scared that I'd drink again. And, uh, and he just really took care of me beautifully. I came tromping out of there saying, boy, hey, the world is fine. I mean, I've got no problem with this. I'm going to be fine. And then this came to mind yesterday, Charlie, when we were talking about the medallions and the controversy about whether AA should put out medallions. I felt in my pocket the third month poker chip that I'd been given by the central group. And I don't know how I happened to squeeze that at that moment, like I'm squeezing my current medallion at the moment to keep me from being nervous. But I suddenly came to and realized that I was heading down Park Avenue for the Sheraton Russell Hotel and the Doghouse Bar, even though I'd registered in a different hotel completely to make sure I wouldn't be exposed to that temptation. I just had completely blanked out, and that's where I was. That's what I did when I was in New York. And again, I started to shake, and I looked around me. I realized I was in front of a church. Didn't pay any attention to what kind of church it was or anything. I walked in, sat in the back pew, and repeated the Serenity Prayer for about an hour just sat there until I calmed down again. little diversion here for just a moment. Years later, I went to work for a company that, uh, guess what hotel in New York they put people up in when they came down to visit them from Rochester. <laughs> but got at work again. In the meantime, he'd established the Mustard Seed AA group a half a block down the street from the hotel. And on one of those trips, I got curious and decided to find out what that church was. I don't know to today the denomination. But on the outside, it said, Church of the Savior, God at work. So I went back to the hotel where I was checked into so I wouldn't get in any trouble. Got changed and decided it was time to go for dinner. And on the way to the meeting that they told me about in the central group that night was a good one that I might want to stop into. Got to eat somewhere. And the place that I often ate when I was in New York, when I wasn't at the doghouse bar, was the uh, old Commodore Men's Grill. Just accidentally, perhaps, they might make a mistake and slip me a drink or something. I pushed open the doors, the swinging doors of that old hotel, looked across the room, and I looked up and said, how can you do this to me? Sitting over there was the guy from my former company in Syracuse, that I most needed to make amends to, the one that I had knifed the worst. And I said, higher power, you do play tough. And I went over, he looked up and seen me at that moment. I just couldn't ignore him. So I walked across, 
introduced myself to his dinner partner, who somehow faded instantly. He'd finished dinner. He just kind of disappeared. And I sat down with Bob and spent the next half hour doing the best I could to make amends. And as so often happens, he was just marvelous. His acceptance of this, he understood. He'd been waiting for me for two years, too, at least. <laughs> so I went on to my meeting that night and told that story. And uh, seven years later, I happened to stop in the same meeting in New York. And there were two people in the room. And I'm going around the room, and I mentioned that, who were there that night and remembered that meeting. I'm impressed with that. That was undoubtedly my most dramatic amends. But more than anything else uh, in my sobriety, I think that convinced me at that point in time that God did love me and I was worth being loved. The tenth step has always been one of my favorites. Not because I'm very good at the inventory part of it. Uh, I cheat a lot on that and I figure if I'm really in trouble, the bell's going to ring. And it usually does if I'm doing anything really outrageous that I shouldn't be into. But I have gotten pretty good at uh, being thankful at night for the day as it went by. And But the part of that step that I really like is is that part about being able to say that I was wrong, admitting it. And the immediate relief that comes from simply saying, I was wrong. How many people out here have had trouble doing that? And they're like something. A long time. I could never do that. I had to be better than I had to always be right. Always correct. And to be able to say that I was wrong. The eleventh step held some real trauma for me because of that religious upbringing that I referred to earlier and the kind of alcoholic relationship to God that I'd had before. But I realized that I had to do something, and uh, Betsy, I never knew much about what meditation meant either, and thank you for helping this morning. Listening to God is pretty good thinking. I've heard that before, but I hadn't thought of it in a long time. And uh, what am I going to do about this 11th step? I read the part that said praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. It's kind of ridiculous. What, what's the point praying? That's what you're going to ask for. But, uh, but maybe, as my sponsors had beat into my head, I should do what it said. But I was still a long way from being able to talk to my personal God. I was still back there in that God I read to you about from the grapevine. So I made a little arrangement. At that time, we were living in Liverpool in Bayberry, and we're members, I think, of St. Joseph's Church. And uh, Father Waters there and I had become fairly good friends. So I made an arrangement with the priest that each morning he would meet me in the parking lot and hear my confession through the car window to remove enough of this guilt so I could come in, go to Mass and Communion, and feel free of guilt. And when I look back on that today, it looks, sounds, feels to me absolutely ridiculous. But that's where I was then, and that's what I needed to do, and that's what worked for me to get me into the next step. Over the intervening years, I have made every mistake and tried everything almost if someone else was talking about, uh, I think it was Don or the other day, Don talking about uh, some of the things that he'd gone through in uh, getting to the stage of uh, personal relationship with God. I tried the Crescio movement, uh, which was in many ways very much like AA, I thought, when we first got into it. But then they started telling me what I had to do, and that wasn't like AA, I didn't like that part. So kind of eased out of that one. 
we became members of uh, our local parish church uh, in Rochester after we moved there, and it was a uh, pretty much of a conventional Catholic church at that point, pretty much as I was still a conventional Catholic. But one of the things that I did that had something to do with giving was to become a sponsor of a youth club in the basement of the parish administration building in the middle of the 60s. (laughs) That was a trip. We built a, uh, had the kids themselves build a club room in this big vacant basement that worked out fine. And once a month, we'd have dances with rock and roll bands in the church hall. And kids would come from all over the Rochester area. We had to have at least two police departments every time this thing broke up. But we made a fortune. Every kid coming in with a penny, we kept plowing it back into the, into the, uh, things downstairs. And I think we probably saved a few lives from some of those kids. Uh, but then we got a pastor who decided he wanted to ride me out of there for doing that because it wasn't, he didn't think a very Christian thing to do. So I decided that, uh, one of us had to go. Hung on for a while. But then we got a, you know, this wasn't the pastor I was talking about initially. The pastor who came in subsequently threw out an AA meeting that uh, I had helped to found during a period of my recovery from the heart attack that Evelyn mentioned. So I kind of lost my feeling for that being a Christian parish. And uh, we picked up stakes, went someplace else that uh, for a few years worked fairly well for us. Now we're centered again in, uh, in a church in downtown Rochester where everybody is there because they want to be there. I think it has 36 zip codes in the membership of that parish. It's absolutely delightful. Uh, every, it's a loving, caring community, and I really feel that I belong as much there as I belong here. In the last uh, couple of years, I've begun singing with a folk group in the church. It was something I always wanted to do and never had the courage, except in my early years of AA, before the laws changed, we used to put on minstrel shows downtown and AA, so we could be anonymous in our blackface, and I would sing rock a or something or other. But, uh, haven't done much of that. Uh, Waterboy was my favorite in bars, they tell me. They tell me. But my personal God, the one that I thank when elevators are on time, uh, especially when I'm late for an appointment, I find him in here. Uh, sometimes he's at St. Mary's. But more, that's just a, a community and a ritual that I have from my childhood that I like to hold on to. I would like to briefly mention the uh, third step prayer that I've come to now in working the fourth step. Uh, probably forget it if I try to recite it word for word, but essentially what I do is to thank God for the day. That occurred to me a while back. At my age, I better start thanking him but, uh, for the day and uh, not just take it for granted. Then I offer it to him and then I turn my will and my life over to him and uh, ask for the knowledge of his will for me this day and the grace to carry it out. I'm maintaining my sobriety, serenity, and something I read in the Reflections book or something recently. Doing my part to make it a good day usefully lived. And that seems to work for me. I want to mention a few of the things that I thank him for, or her, those of you they prefer the generalist in those evening prayers that I talked about a few minutes ago the first one is our move to Rochester uh, at about the time I came in the program a little after that Aggie discovered she had a lump in her throat 
and her doctor here in Syracuse told her it was really nothing to worry about. You know, was, he was sure it was benign and no problem. Well, subsequently, circumstances got at work. Took us to Rochester. And the doctor that she made her first appointment with there felt this thing in her throat and said, I really think you should see someone about this. She went to the person he recommended, who turned out to be a cancer surgeon affiliated with Roswell Park in Buffalo and one of the finest in the country. Undoubtedly saved her life. Got at work. And are making that move. Evelyn mentioned my heart surgery. It's funny that uh, they did two arteries and one didn't work at all. And one only worked partially. That was 20 years ago and my cardiologist still can't figure out why I'm alive. But I think we know. Again, I joke that between the two of us we have the three leading killers and they haven't got us yet. <laughs> I want to mention one other situation that, uh, to me, seemed to be the higher power. It had to do with work. I'd gone into, after my heart surgery, something of a depression. I never really had one of these before because, as some of you know, we kind of blocked them out with something called alcohol when we had them before. And I didn't know what to do with this. And I was getting, uh, there were two phases of this. It hit me early on, slightly after the heart attack. And I wasn't getting to many meetings. And one day I got a mysterious phone call from a woman who was a pretty good friend of mine saying, you know, Owen, we really do need to have an AA meeting in your part of town. Would you help me get together and, uh, and start this? And well, my ego came right up there. <laughs> of course, man, that's a great idea. And we went and we started this meeting. And for you people here, I'd like to mention a little legacy of Syracuse AA. At that time, virtually every meeting in Rochester was a so-called discussion meeting where people sat around the table and waited for somebody to raise their hand or say something. And uh, I had been exposed to the first step meetings here in, at the central group. So I suggested that to the steering group that was putting this committee together. I'll bet 70% of the meetings in Rochester today have first step meetings with them, an opportunity for beginners to be exposed as they were in New York City and uh, were in Syracuse at the time that I came in. I keep thinking I ought to quit because it's almost 10.30, but damn it, I'm not going to because there are a lot of things I want to say. <laughs> Thank you. There was a man in Rochester at that time named Milt W. I was reminded this morning when uh, one of the panelists was talking about the person with a physical problem. Milt and his wife, Norma, were two of the people in this program that I just absolutely idolized for practicing these principles in all their affairs. Uh, I said this in the 60s they were in marching in Selma, Alabama. Uh, Milt was pretty sickly. Norma was legally blind. They took children as foster parents into their home. Children who could barely move in some situations and helped bring them back to life. I just thought these were fantastic people. Milt came up to me one night at this meeting that I'd helped found. And this was during a period after my heart attack when uh, I wasn't probably acting quite right. And he said, Owen, I'd like you to be my sponsor. I, I was appalled. This guy had over 30 years of sobriety. I had 10, 11, something like that at the time. 
And I, you know, tried everything I could think of to refuse and say it just wouldn't be appropriate. But Mill talked me into it. So I agreed that uh, I would be his sponsor. Over the next few years, and this was during the period of time when I was going through a pretty serious depression, Milt got quite sick with Parkinson's disease, and he was in and out of the hospital. And I was picking him up at hospitals, and I was taking him to meetings, and, you know, we were together at least twice a week in this period of time. When Milt died, his wife asked me to uh, say some remarks at his funeral. And I was sitting at my typewriter one night, writing out some notes on what I wanted to say in this eulogy. And all of a sudden it dawned on me that all those years, Milt was sponsoring me. That's humility. Another situation that I'd like to mention to more prosaic that I thank God for. Part of the reason for that depression following the heart attack and the surgery was a kind of a work situation I'd gotten into. My company had been purchased by a different management or taken over by a different management. It wasn't the same kind of community company that I had joined when I went to Rochester. And I was very out of place there, and I was caught in a real difficult spot because I was a member of management, yet I very much disagreed with what was going on with management. I felt that I should do something about this, but I didn't really have the courage to do anything about it. Who else would hire me a drunk at this stage in my career? Well, maybe I should turn this over. So I attempted to turn it over. And I came to the decision of kind of a pre-willingness, a willingness, a willingness to be willing, you know, type of thing. And uh, that maybe if the right thing. And I began flailing around, going around in interviews and stuff, and nothing looked very good. And I kept sitting there you know, waiting for something to happen. Phone rang one day, and it was a, my company's biggest competition from down the street. They tried to hire me before, but I didn't really think much about it. But in the meantime, they'd been acquired by the largest advertising agency in the world out of New York City. And they were, again, recruiting me, asking me if I'd come to work for them. And I thought and thought, and I couldn't figure out, why the hell do those people want to buy this outfit? You know, what do I do for them? So they decided they'd bring the hot shot from the acquiring company in to talk to me and help complete the recruiting project, and it all sounded pretty good. I agreed to take the job. To this day... I think the company is still trying to figure out why they bought that agency in Rochester. We know, don't we? <laughs> There's another interesting sidelight to that. Within the first uh, few weeks that I was on the job, I was in a presentation skills seminar or something like that that was being given by a personnel person from the New York office. And I'm sure most of you have been in these kinds of sessions, and the guy who was leading it, was doing this icebreaker and going around the room and asking people to say something about themselves. And each person was introducing themselves and saying who they were and what they were doing and all this kind of thing. And I'm saying, I'm saying, oh my God, they're supposed to say the most important thing about yourself. What do we do, God? And he said, go for it. <laughs> Came around to me and I said, uh, my name is Owen Crum and I'm an alcoholic. And you can imagine the pins you couldn't hear drop in that room. <laughs> Turned out 
that out of the ten people in that meeting, God had put seven problem drinkers in there. <laughs> Everybody in the company had been assembled in that meeting, and I don't think anybody but God knew it. But, uh, one has since died, two have moved on, one or two are in the program. But they needed to hear that. And over the ensuing years, a number of them came to me one time or another. But the interesting thing to me was that the personnel person came up to me afterwards and said, uh, do you uh, do you know anybody in AA in New York in Y&R? He named this person. And I said, no, I haven't. He, well, he's, he's our uh, employee assistance person. I thought you might know him. I said, well, no, I haven't come across him yet. So I followed that up and got to get to know the guy. Turns out that this ad agency, the biggest one in the world, is the only one in Madison Avenue, at least at the time, that knew or cared anything about alcoholism. They had meetings in the building every day at lunch. They were subsequently written up in advertising age for their enlightened outlook on this. And this was the agency that the higher power reached out and sent to Rochester to buy my shop. God at work. It's a good thing that I knew that person in uh, New York. Just a little bit about 12th Step. I'm not very active these days in 12-stepping. But when I first came into the program, I was approached, called by a woman friend of ours who lived in the same community on a Saturday morning when my wife and I had the car packed with the four kids. We were for the first time in our married life about to leave on a trip on time. We were going to visit my family. And the phone rang, and being a compulsive alcoholic, I couldn't walk away from it. She's begging me to walk away from it. I went inside, answered the phone. It was the wife of a person I knew. She said, he's, I think, off on a drunk. Tomorrow our daughter is having her first communion. And, Owen, would you please see if you could find him and get him here for that communion tomorrow. I hope he stays sober, but I, I need him. She told me she thought he was holed up in the Yates Hotel. I went downtown, I, downtown, I found him on the eighth floor of the Yates Hotel, and most of you can imagine the scene. He'd been there for nearly a week. Got him straight, I don't know what to do, I was two weeks sober or something like that, you know? and I'm being called on my first 12-step call, but they told me, when called, go. Got him downstairs, got a drink in him at the bar, keep him alive, got him home. He made the first communion the next day. When I got drunk again. But over the next six months, he did find AA. And shortly after that, I came in a meeting one night, late. And so I sat down a little behind a pole. He didn't see me when I came in. He was chairing the meeting. And I heard him say what Owen didn't know when he came in that hotel room that night. Was that, or that morning. Was that I just made the decision I'd been wrestling with all week. Whether to have another drink or go out the window. And this time, I decided in favor of the window. I haven't had many 12-step calls as dramatic as that one. I would like to mention a little bit about practicing these principles. I was pretty well recognized as a drunk in Syracuse. I was fortunate in my Rochester incarnation that no one there ever knew that I had a problem. As I indicated earlier, I was in the public relations area, and I 
developed along the way a definition. I don't know if many people know much about public relations, but one of the favorite pastimes of practitioners of PR is to try to define the thing. Nobody knows what the hell it is. And I thought, and I say this often, that probably the best definition of public relations I've ever heard is in our own tradition, attraction rather than promotion. So I looked for a way that one could make that work in the business world. And I came up with a definition that was pretty simple. I said public relations is doing the right thing and getting credit for it. Now, believe me, I've been ridiculed in the best trade journals in the business, not by name, but for that simplistic definition. But keep your eyes on the newspapers these days. When you hear definitions of public relations, increasingly people talk about doing the right thing and getting credit for it. That is based on the AA tradition. Try to practice that definition over the next years, next few years, brought me some fairly decent recognition for for one of us. Within the last few years, uh, three different organizations in Rochester have given me their top awards for community professional service, that kind of thing. I was a little hesitant to tell you that because I still have a problem with self-esteem. didn't want you to think I was bragging. But it's important that I say it to you. Because I mentioned the company a while back that I worked for just before the one that I was in when I came into AA. When I got the job, I switched from news journalism to this public relations job. It was a sort of a quasi-public position. As a result, there was a story in the local newspaper about my making this change, complete with my salary yet, which didn't make me too happy. But the day that I showed up for my first day at work, I had a phone call at my desk from the president of the new organization, and he asked me to come in for a few moments, and I think, huh, this is nice, the president himself is going to welcome me to the organization, and uh, I'm sure this is well-deserved, and uh, I sat at the chair opposite his desk, and he pushed a postcard across the desk to me and said, I'd like you to read that. I turned it over and read what was written on the back. It said, Dear Mr. Cribbs, don't you realize you've just hired Syracuse's biggest lush? This man can't get by a day without the bottle. And, of course, all of my best con man techniques came into play. And I convinced Mr. Cribbs that uh, this guy had a resentment toward me. He was trying to get even for about that and all, and all this kind of stuff. And I don't know whether Mr. Cribbs really bought it or not. I'm sure he wished he did over the next three years when I drank up all his expense account money and I had to, or I was on the verge of letting me go when I quit at the end of the three-year period. But last year, when the Public Relations Society in Rochester was giving me the reward for a lifetime achievement in the field, I thought of that humiliating moment across the desk from Mr. Cribbs. And I thank God, and I thank AA, and you. Uh, Evelyn had uh, given me this while Owen was speaking. Uh, Owen will be celebrating in April uh, 32 years of sobriety.
You know, for the over the course of the weekend, you know, I thought a lot about the ending this convention, and uh, you know, a lot of things went through my mind. Um, some of them good, some of them bad. I, I guess it's like saying goodbye and and also turning it over to uh, some people I know that are going to do a wonderful job. And uh, you know, a lot of things has happened to me in my life in the past five years in association with this convention. I'm not going to get into a long, drawn-out story about it, but uh, you know, some of the things that's happened at this convention itself. I don't know if you, Scott and Marlene, would you stand up, please? Yeah, stand up, Scott. I know when you when you are standing, it looks like you're sitting, but come on, stand up. <laughs> I don't know if most of you are aware of it. Today is Valentine's Day, and last year on Valentine's Day, which happened to fall on a Friday night before the convention started, Scott and Marlene got married here, right in the the Italian room. So this is their first anniversary. And uh, I guess I want to thank um, you know a lot of the past chairmen. You know. Um, Getting involved in this convention uh, a long time ago and in other service was um, something that, you know, when I came into these rooms, I, I seen the people that were here and stayed in the winners and the people that had what this program had to offer, and that was the people that were in service. And I can't stress enough about personal growth and service. And, uh, you know... This past year has been such an up and down process for me, um, the good with the bad. You know, some of the speakers that talked this weekend really hit home, especially what's happened to me in the past year. You know, um, Don, Don in particular, you know, when he talked about making amends with his mother. Um, last year at this time, my mother sat out there and um, shortly she died uh, a few months after that. And uh, what she had said to me when I went to make the amends was something that Don had mentioned, that uh, all she said was, be happy, son, and be the person that God intended you to be. And uh, I think today I'm on that path. Anyways, there's, you know, there's been a lot of special things we tried to do this year, and one of them in particular was um, um, was having some of the me the meetings signed for the death this year, and I think that's wonderful. I want to give a hand to the people that signed this weekend. When um, when the committee when we when somebody approached the committee on this, it was a new idea, and there was all the you know should we or shouldn't we, and and we allotted a certain amount of funds for it. And uh, these people also volunteered a lot of their time because if we had to pay them the amount that they would got. We wouldn't have been able to afford it. And I want to thank them for volunteering for their time for this, too. You know, um, you know, watch out what you pray for, you know, because in this past year, you know, a lot of us made reference to last night in introducing my wife, and uh, I... You know, I always wanted, uh, I, I really hit home with what Bo said about the American dream, you know, but in, in my active alcoholism, I was never in a position to even, even conceive that. And uh, since being sober, you know, 
I prayed that someday I'd be a family member, and within this past year, I, I, you know, I'm automatically got four stepkids, I'm two in college, and I got a grand, uh, a grandchild on the way soon. So, uh, <laughs> I went from single to, uh, married to father to grandfather in a short period of time. So, uh, do watch out what you pray for out there, because it does happen sometimes. Anyways. You know, um, Owen also made reference, to, you know, if you, you want the potatoes, you got to pick up the hoe. And uh, part of growth for all of us is to give back what's been given to us. And I'm just going to kind of end this now, and I'm going to turn this over to Richard. And uh, I would just like to close by also signing this for those people over there. I love you all. Thank you. Hi, I'm Richard, and I am an alcoholic. Hi, My home group is 3D Lollipop Guild. Hello. Diane just gave me her room number. Thanks. <laughs> she wants all the Al-Anon committee members to meet her at room number 640 after this year. It will be brief. I'm a man of a few words and fewer shirts with buttons. Um, check the message board. There are surprises for lots of people. There's some cars parked in the wrong place. That's an outside issue. No, let's not cars. Uh, <laughs> the area assembly is tonight at the Holy Cross Church and School basement at 4112 East Genesee Street at 1 p.m. That's soon. Yeah. <laughs> I'll make it quick. There's Bo. Thanks, Bo. Um, Milo was going through nicotine withdrawal and he asked me to be his chairman, his co-chair, and he's not at fault. <laughs> You can't let them off the hook. The only key is um, we're going to have a, a great committee, and a lot. I hope to see a lot of you people at our committee meetings the first Sunday of the month, 3 o'clock at the open house. The first Sunday of the month, 3 o'clock at the open house. Three times. And I don't have, so I won't have to do a whole hell of a lot, and um, you people can do it, and I can sit back like Milo and do nothing but, <laughs> but stand up here and talk for hours. And bore everybody to tears. And I'm, um, I think I'm gonna have a good committee tonight. And I look forward to um, working with a lot of you and look forward to seeing you next year. Peace and love. Thank you. It's yours now. I'm not having, it's, it's yours now, Richard. <laughs> okay, the next committee meeting will be the first Sunday of the month. Three o'clock at the open house. We all join me and we're closing the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Hey, everybody, before you go, can I ask you for one thing special? 
No one bothered to say thank you to Milo, and I think he's done a wonderful job, and he deserves a standing ovation. This is all over with. Somebody forgot to give the numbers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>